Pam, how's Hacker School, or should I say Recurse Center? Is it Center? It is Center. And yes, yes, you should say Recurse Center. I'm now a recursor or recursor. RCer. <laughs> I like that you said Rec Center. Yeah, I like, I like Rec Center personally. Yeah, the name changed for the retreat that I'm at. I went and updated like my blog post to the new name because they asked everyone to do that so that like people who are searching around for it on the internet. For SEO. Well, for SEO, but also like when people are looking at like retreat for programmers, like they tend to like Google around and lots of people have posts about their experiences and that's how a good number of people decide to come. And so they were like, hey, if you write those kind of things, please update your stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people with like negative feelings about the new name, but I like I know that the people who are working on it put a lot of work into it, and so I'm not a hater, and so I think you know I'm not going to talk shit about it. Also, I really think that there's like the abundance of recursion jokes that can be made. I really appreciate. I tried to make one on Twitter, but it wasn't very good. Mm, yeah, like I, I saw you made that, and I was like, meh. <laughs> um, but no, there's so the the motto of the recurse center is is never graduate, and so because of the name change, we like there was a mention of changing it to never return. <laughs> and, yeah, um, and uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so lots of recursion jokes, and I think you know the whole the whole thing that I think like you know they they didn't you know just like randomly decide they put a lot of work into thinking about it, and I think the the best part is that it it kind of resets to an abstract idea. Because with the other name, you have to kind of backtrack a lot to unpack like those two words. And, you know, some people are like, well, but I don't want to have to explain recursion to everyone. It's like, well, oh, someone yesterday made a joke that was like, you know, if I say I'm going to the Betty Ford Clinic, you don't give a shit who Betty Ford is. <laughs> you know, you know what the Betty Ford Clinic is. <laughs> For everyone else, the Betty Ford Clinic is rehab. So, like, you don't really give a shit who Betty Ford is. You just know you're in rehab. So resetting the name kind of has that effect like I think it's you know they can attach the meaning that they want to attach to it without having to get conflated with boot camps because I you know I'm a diva apparently because like when people when people are like oh Pam how's boot camp the first thing I do is it's not boot camp because like I wrote a book on JavaScript frameworks why do you think I'm at coding boot camp like what what about me and my professional background makes you believe that I would be at a coding boot camp I do not understand that how's rehab but that's because I'm a diva it's great if they limited the number of students or uh, or intern or residents, whatever it's called, to one, that's like tail call optimization. Um, no, 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 that's, that's no, I know. no, no, that's not no. Mm. Although there is a so, what happens after you're done with Recurse Center? Or you used to call it Slacker School, like when people are just hanging around looking for jobs or doing whatever. Um, and now, uh, now we're talking about calling it tail recursion because. <laughs> Your time at, at Recurse Center is just the head of a long tail. <laughs> we've, we've thought about this longer than you have, Justin. <laughs> and I, we have like, like a few hundred people <laughs> thinking about it. So you're taking sabbatical, right? I am. Are most other students like between jobs, pre-job? Like what are their you know situations that they are, can just take a few months to uh, go to the recourse? Well, for, I, I first am question, first question, question if it's not a school, are they, are they students? Or what, what is the correct terminology? Recursors. Re well, Recursors. what was it before? Was it students? Hacker schoolers. Hacker schoolers. Schoolers. No, you were, you're not a student. You're a hacker schooler. Oh, that, yeah, that's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a recursor. So yeah, back to Lennon's question, are most other people taking sabbaticals as well? No, I'm the only one taking a, taking a, I have a job that, well, no, there's one other person, but they probably aren't going back. 
<laughs> like they're the kind of like sabbatical and air quotes. Uh, I'm on a break. Yeah, meaning like they can go back if they want, but they aren't. Um, there's only one other person with that. How big is the? Uh... And then everyone, my class or my my cohort is about 30 people, about like 27, 20 people. Uh, the next cohort is that starts on Monday. Is uh, I have to check, but I think it's less than 20. It's a little bit smaller because our ours is big, which I like, but. And so, it, so did everyone like quit their job to go there, or are they just between jobs anyway and decided it was a good time, or, or what are the, their story that they're in? There's a mix of that. There's a there's a few people from academia, so like some of them are working on PhDs, and so they, you know, like you're kind of always getting a PhD, and then you do other stuff. Uh, so they're doing that. There's some people who are straight out of school, and there are some people who who did quit their job to to take some time. There's a there's a whole mix. And it's always, is it three months for every cohort? Yep, it's always 12 weeks, I think, 11 to 12 weeks. It seems like a really cool experience, but as somebody that has a lot of home responsibilities, it's kind of like a non-starter, but I really am interested in it. I mean, you have a wee babe, but yeah. like, but there are other people who have, have partners, but definitely, like at least in this these batches, I haven't had anyone who has children, but I know there have been in previous batches. So it, helps, it helps if your kids are older. Helps you um, live in New York too, I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah. Like if you already live in New York, then it's, it's not as much of a problem, honestly. And you, you're flexible. Your schedule's so flexible that, like, because there are no schedule requirements, that you know, if you're already in New York, then you have plenty of time for family obligations. I'm gonna start a South Jersey chapter of the Recurse Center. So, what kind of like experiences have you gotten from Recurse Center uh, that you wouldn't have gotten if you just took three months off to hack on your own? I mean, it, it has delivered on kind of exactly why I came here instead of doing that is that like with residents, like there are there's specific times where someone comes and just is in residence for a week um, and they're they're usually like have some cool project that they're working on. And so you talk about like um, Alex something um, <laughs> came and talked about parsing expression grammars, uh, which is great for people who are designing languages um, and honestly, it was good for what I'm working on, even though I ended up, or what I just finished, even though I didn't end up using a context-free grammar, it was a little bit of overkill for the kind of parsing I was doing. But it was interesting to learn about context-free grammars and expression grammars. And so, like, that's an example of, you know, being here in this space specifically. Um, I haven't gained as much from being in New York as I thought, because I, I there's so much going on here that I haven't really been going to a lot of meetups, and I thought I would. Hmm. So there are a lot, like, there's also obviously that, like, there's plenty of lectures and things that happen, like some, what's his face, one of the authors of SICP, I think, gave a lecture this week, oh. and at the library, and a few people went, I heard it was disappointing, <laughs> but, I mean, like, that's, I'm not surprised it was disappointing, because you probably had really high expectations, yeah. and I think I think he, he was asked about AI. He was asked about AI and like you know the the issue of how do we do AI and not pre and prevent Skynet from happening. And his answer was essentially let's impose social rules on AI and make them act like humans. And people were like, at least people who went were like, that is not a good answer. <laughs> mm. Basically, recreating all of human history on AI in order to police it is not probably the best approach in order of preventing Skynet. Well, maybe it is. But, okay, if if we embrace the cyberpunk future, Justin, uh -huh. that 
you know, being, you know, a little bit of a cyber feminist that like, why would we want to recreate all the bullshit we have onto our new digital world? No, but wouldn't, wouldn't it be the opposite though? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be, you have to imagine that any AI that's, you know, driven by computers, not, you know, human mind would be smart enough to not like make those same mistakes again. Like it would learn from the mistakes and wouldn't have. No, if you, if, if it has the exact same context of the people who write it, who probably come from privileged backgrounds, then it would make the same privileged mistakes. But so I, I guess you're saying that for an AI to be completely human, it has to be fallible. You should watch Chappie. Not 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 the greatest movie, but it. Uh, I don't know what that is. It's a it's a. Have you seen District Nine? Yep. It's the same director and also uh, South Africa. Um, <laughs> it has a ridiculous uh, stars. The trailers make it feel like a modern short circuit. Uh, you know that's not that's not too far off. I guess I don't think about the plots. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting movie to watch. I don't recommend like spending a lot of money or a precious you know block of your time on it but if you're bored and want to check out some ai stuff uh it's it was interesting i i enjoyed it i i went to go see it because i was in uh utah for mountain west ruby uh alone for an extra day and i was like how can i kill three hours let me go to the movies by myself and it totally worked mm. but yeah back to your point about you know being in new york like i feel like that about conferences in general everyone's always excited about you know whatever city a conference is in but if the conference does a good job you'll never leave the hotel <laughs> that is very true i always make the mistake of like flying in or getting in the night before and then leaving the night of or the morning after and having no time to do anything but attend the conference i'm actually excited for uh lambda conf in may uh me and my wife and our baby are all going out there and we're, we're padding out a few, few extra days because we have friends out there. And I've heard Boulder, Colorado is a pretty nice, nice town. Pam, are you going to Bang Bang Con? Did you see that? Yes, I did. Um, I'm not going to go. It seems interesting. <laughs> but uh, everyone should go. Everyone should go. I'm just not going to go because it's, it's the weekend. It's a weekend. So Saturday and Sunday after. The not the weekend directly after, but the weekend after I finish Recurse Center. So you'll be you'll be back so, home in Philly, and then like, oh, I got to go to New York again. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to leave. Yeah, no, like I want to ride my bicycle for days and days and eat all the blackbird pizza that I can stand and like what pizza. Do whatever. Hmm? What kind of pizza? Blackbird, the vegan pizzeria. Oh, uh, it's the vegan pizzeria. They're amazing, and I. Like, even though it's going to be awesome, I just, when I think about going or, because like a lot of, I'm, people have asked me to propose a talk. Because uh, also, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great conference because it's, the talks are only 10 minutes. Uh, and the requirement is they all have to have an exclamation point in the title. Yeah. So like, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, tickets will go really fast. So if you're thinking about going, like definitely be on it. But it's just Based on timing, I'm just not going to want to go. If it were two weekends before, I would be all about it. But just based on the timing, nah. I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, but uh, CFP closes the 31st, which is a Tuesday. I don't know why I want to give a talk about that. It's only 10 minutes. Can't you do your, with adding exclamation points, can't you do your writing lots of things? Can't you do your make file talk? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a make file. I could talk about make files for ten minutes, definitely. Uh, I actually already have an exclamation point in the title. There you go. Make I mean, you might as well submit it. Hello world. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Speaking of learning languages, I saw this link for uh, Loop School. It's school.looprecur.com. 
and there, it's basically a collection of. I can't really understand if they're planning to charge for these at some point because it seems like all these videos you can just watch and they're free. Um, I think a lot it's an of, outreach. I think it's an outreach media thing, a la Thoughtbot. Did you know that that like Thoughtbot has a, a podcast producer? Yeah, and and, edit, and editor. I think they're separate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they're two different people. That is so luxurious. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's like all kinds of cool uh, videos on here for if you're learning uh, about some functional programming, uh, like there's functors and uh, currying, and there's three videos on big O notation. Uh, seems really cool. And what I really liked was at the bottom. I, of the page, I like loop recur a lot too. So behind the scenes, loop recur are the people who do forward um, the forward JS comp, and oh. yeah, and also Brian Lawrencedorf, who so. So Brian, Brian is awesome. And a while ago, I think I talked about how we recorded a, a Google Hangout where Brian taught me monads and was explaining monads to me over Google Hangout. And then Google ate the recording because was, there was bad people. Um, but it's back. It came back. Like I just noticed the other day when I was making the demo video for and published the demo video for Mac and Speak. So I'm, I might publish those videos. Oh, cool. But in general, LoopRecord, I'm glad they're doing some outreach because they're, they're like a, a quietly very awesome set of people. That's really cool. And I also like at the bottom of the page, there's a list of things they might talk about in the future. And then you just click on them and you and by clicking on them, you upload them to, to be towards the top. So I don't know if this is sorted right now, but the first one is Monads. So you can vote on their next video, which I thought was pretty cool. And such a sim- simple interface. I was pleasantly delighted. I accidentally upvoted something because I thought it was a link. So I don't know if that was the best UI, actually. <laughs> and I, like, you, I can't, you can't un-upvote it. No, you're stuck with that decision for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, you're going to learn about uh, linear regressions. Yes. I don't know what that means, but sounds cool. What are lenses? Uh, so my understanding of lenses in Haskell are Haskell is a pure language. So um, you can only receive input to a function and return output. Maybe the input to a function is a data structure, such as like a person that has a name and an age. So to update the age of a person, traditionally you'd have to, um, you you receive the person and then you'd make a new age and then make a new person with that age and then also pass the original other data back to that person. And I think a lens is essentially Haskell's way of doing a getter and a setter. So you make your data structure in a special syntax with underscores, and then you say make lenses, and then it makes a bunch of functions that can update something in place. Uh, and I don't really understand how they work, and they're prob- I'm probably doing a disservice to them. Um, but that, that's as far as I understand. And I know some people are uh, people that have been doing Haskell a long time don't like lenses because they're not in the spirit of Haskell. So it's kind of like a deep clone and then update the property you want to update? I think so. I'm sure the word lenses has some math- mathematical etymology that I'm not aware of or, or, or computer science theory. Um, but because I don't know that theory, it sounds like a dumb name. <laughs> but I'm sure it, it, it has some meaning. Yeah, there's like lenses and prisms and optics, which because I don't know what they mean, sound really silly thinking about code and programming. There's also a link for beekeeping. I'm trying to figure out if that's a programming thing or if they're going to teach about beekeeping. <laughs> And I searched for beekeeping Haskell, and I got a link for beekeeping in Haskell, New Jersey. <laughs> where Where is Haskell, New Jersey? Are you Googling it? You are, aren't you? 
I'm not. I was waiting for Justin. I assumed he's the New Jersey no. expert. Um, Everybody assumes because I live in New Jersey. I know where in New Jersey is. I really don't. I know where. Does it, does it bother you that people assume your New Jersey knowledge? It bothers me that people from New York assume that New Jersey means over the river in North Jersey. Which mm. I'm sure that when people say... So, so it's like it's like Jersey is a New York Jersey, and then South Jersey is Philadelphia Jersey, which seems uh, discriminatory towards South Jersey. Haskell is way North Jersey. Mm, big years. Jersey's huge. I guess any, every state's huge. But there's like South Jersey, North Jersey, then there's like the shore. Then there's like way South Jersey, which is all farmland. That's that's basically what I want to know is if that was all. It was like it's Haskell a any like is it in the shore category so that we can have a. I mean, I'm like surely you knew that I was thinking of this because of, I'm me that I must surely. have a scheme that I must have a scheme that involves some sort of party or beach going or something that involves like let's do functional programming in Haskell, New Jersey. It looks like it's like as far away from the shore as you can get. It actually is. It's like, oh, Haskell is North Jers. I think it's North Jers. Is it spelled like Haskell is? Yeah. Mm. Completely. Speaking of South Jersey, I'm going to spend a lot more time here because I got a new job. What's up? Congratulations. Thank you. Good job. I got a new job. I'm glad someone wants to employ you and pay you money. <laughs> yeah. That's always pretty. If, I like couching in that because that's always pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, by the time you hear this, I will be joining the team at HashiCorp. To make mixed up for them. What's HashiCorp? HashiCorp is uh, I don't know if it's Hashi or Hashi. I think it's actually HashiCorp. Uh, but if you've used Vagrant, the creator of Vagrant makes a bunch of other tools that are really cool. And uh, we're making a product for businesses to deploy stuff really, really easily. That's a really short version. I'm sure I will have lots more to talk about once I'm actually there. You're going to be doing a lot of go there, right? Uh, I don't know. So their uh, main, their their business product that uh, I'll be working on called Atlas is actually a Rails app that has Go services behind it, and then all of their open source tooling besides Vagrant is written in Go. So I'm I'm sure I'll be dabbling in Go a lot, um, but I might just be doing Rails for the beginning. I don't know yet. I'll let you know as soon as I'm there. <laughs> so I have to fly out to San Francisco for that. Which I was instructed last night uh, by an ex-San Franciscanite that I kept calling it San Fran. And he said, don't do that. <laughs> he said it is uh, San Francisco, SF, or the city. Yeah. If I want to fit in. If I call it San Fran, I'll be I'll get weird looks. That is, I mean, I didn't know about weird looks, but I, I was told that you can't say San Fran why? It seems, a while ago. It seems... The, I don't know why. The but shortest, just... the best compromise of the least amount of syllables, and you know what I'm talking about. Like Philly. Nobody says Philadelphia. I mean, they also can't spell it, so <laughs> that's also part of it. But also people can't spell San Francisco, so I think it also applies. I mean, Francisco is kind of hard to spell. Is it C-I-S-C-O? S-I-S-C-O? So to go with working remotely, I also upgrade my home setup. So I bought a standing desk from Ergo Depot. Uh, it's motorized, and it has a controller on it, so you can press a button, and it changes the height. I actually have it raised right now, so the podcast mic is a good height for my, my mouth. Uh, and I got a monitor arm used off eBay, and I got an iPad mount, so when I do video calls, uh, the iPad is eye level and off to the side. Are you, are you not going to go outside anymore? No, I, I plan on... Luxurious I plan on going... at your desk. 
Then I'm going downtown. I guess I call Philly downtown now that I think about it. Uh, at least once a week. And I'm also planning on hitting up some coffee shops in South Jersey in the area. Oh, the other important uh, thing I got was a cat door <laughs> for the office so that the cats can come and go as they please. Because usually if the door is closed, they'll meow on the other side of it, no matter which side they're on. But now they can just walk in. I'll put a gist in the show notes of the my equipment setup. The standing desk is actually the new recommendation from the wire cutter, which is cool to see because their old recommendation was like twice as much money. And I've been very happy with it. I've always been skeptical that I actually need a standing desk that changes height. Because can't you just get a, like a big desk and get like a bar stool to set on it? Uh, so I had a standing desk that I built from Ikea shelving and other parts that was perfect height for me standing. Uh, and then I got a stool to go along with it. Right. And it. so first of all, standing all day is not good for you. And you will like I, doing, you're really doing any of the same thing all day isn't good yes. for you. But, That's, but Len's yeah. in like super good shape because he crosses all the time. So maybe maybe he doesn't have this problem. Um, but me standing all day, like my, my back hurts and my feet hurt and it's not not good. Um, and it's also nice just sometimes you just want to sit down and think about a problem or be in a conference call or whatever you're doing. Maybe you just want to be sitting for it, like podcasting. I prefer sitting. Uh, so I had a, a fixed height standing desk for about three months that I used with a stool. And the stool wasn't really the greatest stool. It was an, it was an Ikea stool that was expensive related to, uh, in rel- relation to Ikea prices, but overall kind of cheap. Um, and it didn't. it wasn't really ergonomic to sit on that. And I found myself kind of slouching on the stool more than I should be. Um, also, the other thing I found is that when I'm sitting, uh, the ability to lower the desk to perfect height when I'm sitting, not just while I'm standing, is also really good. So so I actually have this desk about five inches shorter than a normal desk height when I'm sitting. Uh, so my my elbows are actually at my side. So if you've ever like used a keyboard tray, that was the right height. It's kind of like that, but you don't have the, the janky keyboard tray on your desk. Um, so yeah, I think if you're going to get a standing desk, you should get an adjustable one. And then the other the other part of that is if it's motorized, you'll actually adjust it and not just leave it in one place all the time. Um, the other thought is if you're comfortable using a laptop or maybe if you have multiple monitors, you could also get a fixed height standing desk and a fixed height sitting desk that are next to each other and just either have an external keyboard mouse and move between them. Len, I see you using your laptop a lot at, at PromptWorks. Yeah. Uh, your laptop monitors. Maybe you're comfortable with that, but I, I need an external monitor. I also got a, uh, what are they called? Anti-fatigue mat. I also got the wire cut recommendation for that, and that has been pretty good. Yeah, those get, are pretty necessary if you're going to do a standing desk. I don't get as tired standing. <laughs> and I've actually, I've worked from home a few days since I got this all this set up, and uh found myself standing for about two-thirds of the day, and then sometimes I'm just really either physically or mentally tired and I just want to sit and uh yeah I, I've been meaning to keep track of when I'm standing and sitting uh I haven't yet but maybe when I start full-time at HashiCorp then I will I will do that just, to, just so I can graph over time like am I standing more often or less often and it seems like it'd be pretty cool the original standing desk I was going to buy which is the uh uh next desk Terra you could get an upgrade for it that uh gives you software in your computer and I guess like a USB connection where <laughs> You can control the standing desk from your computer, and I think it also has things built in like reminders to stand or sit, and uh, I assume if it has all that, I could probably script it from the command line to, you know, get the current height and save it somewhere. So my original plan was to do that and then make all that stuff automatic and and chart it over time, Uh, but now I just have to manually, I guess, write, write it down. 
So Pam, I was checking out your your Mac Vimspeak project. Yeah, so I I finished it. It I've been working on it the past few weeks at the Recurse Center. It is a native Mac project, so it's my first end-to-end uh, app in Swift, and it lets you talk to your computer in order to control Vim. I, uh, so, I downloaded it and tried it. I didn't know there was actually... It actually a, worked. Yeah, it actually worked. I didn't know there was a binary was available. So, so, so there's, also, there's lots of caveats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can just download and use it. But you have to right-click install because I don't... So I also managed to do this whole thing without paying for a Mac developer account, which is, you know, $100. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. Not handing over $100. If someone wants to see it in the Mac store, then they can give me $100 and then I'll put it there. <laughs> I'll put it there for free if someone gives me the hundred dollars to pay for the stupid developer account. Um, but yeah, so so it lets you talk to your your Vim, and it's completely agnostic about the Vim instance. So you you run the app, and then you just change focus, and what it does is it converts words into Vim key commands because Vim being run by simple keyboard keystrokes generally maps to words, so noun, so to to verbs and nouns. So like C is change, A is append, things like that. And so it allows you to say those English words. It, there's a lot of caveats in terms of how useful it actually is. Uh, I mean, it uses, part of it is also it uses native, completely native uh, Mac dictation support. Mm-hmm. So I want to do that because because I've been, I've been floating around the voice coding community for a few years because of various reasons I have to, that require me to use ergonomic setups and alternative interfaces. And so there's, there's a whole voice coding community in the back. You know, there's always like different communities in the back channels of the internet, and there's one for voice coding. And the thing about voice coding is that generally if you voice code, you generally get dragon. And if you want to do, to do voice coding and say run your editor using something like Dragon, what people end up doing is they have to run they have to run Windows in order to run Dragon naturally speaking, which is only available for Windows. Dragon Dictate is what you get on Mac. And Dragon Dictate is not scriptable. Dragon naturally speaking is, so you can use a Python package to script it. So if you run a Mac, you have to run Windows and then interface <laughs> through a virtual machine and somehow send mess like I it's, I mean, it's obviously possible because there's, you know, scores of people who do it, but it is really complicated. And especially if you're, when you have an injury, it's not accessible to just, you know, you can't open it and it works. And so I wanted to write something that even if it's not, you know, terribly useful, it's a proof of concept and hopefully brings more people to, to know about the voice coding community and what, you know, the idea of alternative interfaces is something that always interests me, and I know a lot of people, and challenge the way we, we use computers. Plus, you also get to yell at your computer, and it does things in Vim. So that's kind <laughs> of fun. Um, it works, it, yeah, it works better if you have a microphone. It also only works for American keyboards. Uh, and the, the French guy here who tried it, like his dictation wouldn't pick it up, so I don't know if there's something weird with his French dictation package. <laughs> but... But the fact that you used it and it worked is promising. And someone else with American setup, it worked and it was promising. But the code is all open source. So, you know, if you wanted to build a setup for a different language, that's very possible. And, and you know, I've, like, it, I could extend the, the app so that you can add your own commands, which would be kind of cool. Uh, but I wanted to, it's, it's kind of a proof of concept to say, like, what's the, 
you know, it, it literally does what it says it does. And that's why I stopped there at version one for it. You know, you say them commands and it executes them. And then in the future, maybe uh, make it more scriptable. So wait, why does the keyboard layout matter for voice coding? The keyboard, it matters for Mac Vim Speak because what it literally does is execute keystrokes. And so the way keystroke execution works is key codes, uh, which literally map to machine keys. Uh. So depending, so it, as I understand, I understand that it is keyboard layout dependent. I have yet to practice on someone's keyboard where I've said one thing and it executed a different key. Um, but, but that said, I mean, I, I do use an alternative keyboard. I use a, a, a Kinesis and I, I don't have it mapped differently. Uh, I don't have a Dvorak or anything, but it is a little bit, you know, like the enter key is where your thumbs are and things like that. And it, it works with that. Um, the key codes still map the same way. So I think it, it depends on the underlying, the underlying circuitry of your keyboard probably <laughs> and the messages it sends to, to the computer. I don't know. I just know that when I looked up the key code thing that it, it warned that, hey, this is an American thing. And if you have a different keyboard, that it might be different. So uh your kinesis keyboard do you do you use your laptop keyboard by itself at any point like I, or, I do sometimes and is it frustrating i mean but it well it's not so much frustrating it, it actually it doesn't that doesn't bother me mentally or in practice it's that i'll i'll be in pain later so oh, okay. i can't use it for very long at all without without paying for it or I'll, or I'll have to use, use the keyboard with like one hand, like use only my left hand and rest my right arm and my side or something like that. Mm. Um, like once my right arm gets too, like too, too inflamed for lack of a better way of saying it. I've been interested in getting a, a different keyboard, maybe like an ergonomic one, but one of the ones that have, you should, you should become a keyboard head. I apparently, <laughs> I found out coming here that there are keyboard heads. So there's also, there's a subreddit just for keyboards. Like so, they're super people are super into keyboards. I've seen Aaron Patterson on Twitter. Like he has, I think, two or three keyboards that he he built, and they look really cool. And uh, yeah, you can you can buy kits where you have to solder all the things together and build it yourself, and you can change the keycaps for every key. And it has a firmware on it, so you can change uh, what each key does. And you can. He was saying that he has one key that is uh, escape if you tap it, or it's control if you hold it. And he's yeah, also that's cool. That is something that would my app probably wouldn't work well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he has, if he has no control key, but were you saying that the keyboard just? I don't know. It, it might work. I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to try it and see if it works. I don't know. Future episode. Give me a few months to dive into keyboards. Yeah, you should get really into it. <laughs> And yeah, so I, I'll put the the Reddit keyboards in a in a in the the show notes. But yeah, and oh, keyboards that make sounds like like clicky clack are called mechs, like mechanicals. Mechs. And there's yeah, so like people people look at my keyboard and are like, oh, I know what kind of thing that is because they're a keyboard head, and it's pretty cool. I think it's an interesting thing to nerd out about. And Kinesis is a good one. So if you're interested in them, Kinesis is, I love the Kinesis keyboard. Uh, I have the advantage. And then keyboard.io is supposed to come out eventually. Uh, the one but, I was thinking of was uh, Atreus, A-T-R-E-U-S dot technomancy dot U-S is a keyboard kit you can order. The other cool thing is it has layers. So you can uh, 
have a modifier key that when you, I guess, tap it or hold it, changes the entire layout to something else. So if you have like a layout for number input, you could switch to that while you type number and then switch back to the other one. Uh, it is $150 unassembled, which is kind of a steep investment for... Wait, how, sure. $150? 150 for for the kit. Or yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's less than I paid for the Kinesis. Yeah, I imagine so, that all these are probably... Yeah, so if you, if you get, you know, it's, it's the thing of, of nice equipment. Nice equipment is nice. It'd be cool if I could just get the uh, Apple Bluetooth keyboard uh, split in half. I think someone makes that. Really? I mean, surely... I mean, it's not a mech, right? Mech. <laughs> no. I just want to say mech. But, because you can't, yeah. Maybe we should find someone who's a keyboard expert and have them on the show and just, like, school us on keyboards. Oh, man. I don't know who that person is. I could talk to the keyboard I.O. people and see if they have somebody. That'd be cool. Who wants to talk about their project. Because I think, I think it's an open source keyboard. Yeah. So it could be cool. Although they'll probably be, they're, you know, busy. It's not launched, so they're probably, you know busy building it but we can try so do you just take your keyboard with you or do you keep a different keyboard at work and at home i generally don't use my computer at home <laughs> and then i only i only have one kinesis because it is expensive um and i i leave it in the place where i program the most which is right now at recurse center because it's not small <laughs> so it it lives at recurse center or at work when i work yeah, that's one thing that keeps me back from you know spending too much money on my setup, whether it's a standing desk or keyboards or monitors, because you know I'm probably spending two thirds of my day at wherever I work, and then a third of my day at home, and then I just feel crippled when I'm in the environment that's not all decked out. Yeah, but at the same time, you're you're still only punishing yourself, <laughs> so you might as well make the two thirds of time the best that it possibly can be. And yeah. then, but then I won't yeah. know what I'm missing. So you won't miss it if you don't know what you're missing. I wonder maybe if I think I, that's uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I completely I, I, disagree. I, I wonder if I could have like two muscle memories, like you know, home setup, standing with my special keyboard, and then you know, on the road, laptop. You totally do. Yeah. I totally. I mean, where I used to when I used to do a lot of writing in French, <laughs> I you know you learn to write in both keyboard styles so i could use a french keyboard and i would use a french keyboard when i was writing in french because it's easier to write french in a french keyboard and i would use an american keyboard when i wrote an american pam lisselle pam lisselle <laughs> um means bicycle seat in french by the way um oh. it's not pronounced that way in french but um but yeah no, i had the same thing for like uh, about a year i was using both my like macbook and a windows pc and then when I did get an external keyboard for my MacBook, I didn't even realize like my subconscious or whatever muscle memory was that if I was using a real keyboard, like a full keyboard, you know, control C, control V. And so when I plugged a keyboard in my Mac, I kept trying to like do the wrong keystrokes because I had like the Windows muscle memory bound to like a full keyboard. But then you can just remap your keys. <laughs> so that's solvable. I yeah, mean, but then you're be... ruined for being on anyone else's machine. Yeah, yeah, that does I, happen, and I and it annoys me when people I work on someone's computer where they they remapped things like what did someone do? They well, your caps lock they, should oh, never oh, be caps someone, lock. Someone someone remapped in in their Vim setup. They remapped tab to caps lock. I don't know why they did that. Probably because they don't no, have no, a no, caps no, no, lock. No, no, caps lock was escape. That's what it was. Oh, I actually did like that the most. Kind of yeah, 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 it makes sense. 
but the thing is the layout but like it is really frustrating to especially in vim when you're trying to change modes and you keep hitting escape and nothing happens oh well escape should still be escape yeah no he unmapped that oh that's <laughs> so that you couldn't hit escape you had to hit caps lock and on my kinesis when you hit caps lock it it has a a feature so it, it goes boop so that you know that you turn caps lock on. So every time I change modes, it'd be like boop, 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 boop. So. No, I, I was doing that for a few years. My caps lock, I did that at the hardware level. Um, and actually the, the reason I stopped was because you can't just do that. Uh, like in OS 10, you can go to keyboard preferences and you can change caps lock to like control uh, function, a few other things, but you can't do escape. So you have to get some like hacky, uh, updating thing that makes you reboot. So if you're like pairing with somebody, you can't easily like change their config. And I would just be ruined because I just had that muscle memory. So I'd be typing and I thought I hit escaped, but no, I actually hit caps lock. And then I'd freak out because I was still where I didn't want to be typing in all caps. It was terrible. I'm staring at the Atreus order page and I'm looking at the get to choose your switches. You can get clicky blues or quieter, clear switches. Uh, and I'm like, what do I want? If I if I get one and I don't like it, I'm stuck with it. Oh, well, I guess you could technically just buy the switches only and change them all. I've never been a clicky cl- clicky keyboard person, but many people that do use clicky keyboards really like them. I like them. It's satisfying. It makes me like feel important. <laughs> and I even mine also makes a it actually makes a sound as well besides clacking, and you can turn it off. But I turned it off once and I turned it back on because I like it. It makes tiny little beeps, which is why everyone thinks I have a space keyboard because it looks like a space keyboard and it makes beeps. So, oh, which speaking of space, <laughs> I dropped a, we, you, you dropped the link, uh, Justin, but we talked about it. I mentioned it earlier this week about Space Max. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you linked to it and you were like, hey, this is going to end all editor wars. And I was like, yeah, right. But it's, no, but it's, what if you, so I mean, I think, does Emacs normally have an evil mode? Or uh, it has one, I'm not sure. I don't. It, I think it has an evil mode, but Space Max is a kit that uh, just completely combines, combines Emacs and them. So it's, it's very nice and nice and evil. So, and it has support for, it comes with, I guess it's, it's kind of, it almost, I wonder if Space Max is kind of like Janus, except for Emacs in evil mode. That's what it kind of sounds like. like I think a, so, because it has, of- it has a nice UI. So yeah, so maybe like, like MacVim or Janus, but for evil mode. Have you, have you tried it? Mm, no, because I, I was about to try it and then I, op- I was like, oh, I'll look at Emacs first. And I opened Emacs and then I couldn't get out. <laughs> I had that same problem. So I, I, like, I, I need evil mode already installed because <laughs> I, I don't know how to get out of Emacs. I installed Space Max, uh, so that's my knowledge, the, the, the way they, they, they tell you to. And I started Emacs, and it didn't do anything different than vanilla Emacs. So I'm sure I did something wrong, uh, but I you couldn't probably, figure it out. You probably have to change mode. And if you don't know how to change mode, then you can't get to evil mode. Yeah, people say that Emacs in in evil mode is a like the perfect editor, but I don't have any problems using Vim, so I don't know why I would need. Why would you need a different editor in the mode of the editor that you know how to use? Yeah, plus I I use yeah. like a hundred well, plugins in Vim, so I'd have to find all of those again in Emacs. Mm, 
Yeah, I, I use a good number of plugins, but well, no, I, I definitely have a lot of plugins, but I don't know. If, I don't know that I leverage them. I just get got them because because I, I wanted, you know, souped up Vim so that I would use I, I needed my training wheels. Well, so I, use, I, I use a lot of uh, like passive ones that are, you know, syntax sizing for different languages or maybe automatic oh, formatting right, or syntax right. checking or I have one yeah. that Spacemax has that stuff. Colors parentheses uh, differently for their their nesting level so you can match them you know, up really easily. You know what I was thinking with with Emacs and also I started reading Land of Lisp this week. Ooh. Um so cuz cuz this week I was because I finished Mac Vim Speak and I I did kind of the launch on Monday and and published a website, published a demo video. There's a post about it on my blog. I probably should write another post about the building it part. Um for example like that key code thing. Like I think some of that stuff's really interesting. Um but the thing about like Emacs is with the it uses control a lot and and then also with Lisp using like the bejesus out of parentheses, I almost feel like I want a different keyboard mapping for writing for using Emacs and Lisp. Have you tried pair pair edit power edit? No, I don't know what that is. Uh, I it's supposed to be some uh some mode in Emacs where all the parentheses automatically balance, and then instead of like writing parentheses, you have keystrokes to, to take wrap. take a form and wrap it, or take an element and move it out to the right, or slurp it in, or spit it out. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. That's probably why Emacs is so popular for that. It's more semantic. For, there's for there's those, one for, for for Lisp style languages. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Because yeah, because like because the act of typing parentheses is would be really bad repetitively. And those plugins exist for Vim too. I I use a couple. Yeah. So but, that's interesting. Yeah, because I'll probably write. I'm thinking about well, because I'm I'm just kind of wandering this week to try and figure out what my next project might be, and I'm thinking about maybe writing a Lisp interpreter because that's. Oh, cool. Because they aren't hard, <laughs> so apparently, according to the land of Lisp, Lisp interpreters aren't that hard. So, <laughs> so I can write a Lisp. Nice. But also, I like that I learned that global variables in Lisp you put earmuffs on them, and I think that that's really cute. <laughs> and I think that that that's obviously the most undersold thing in Lisp, even though it's not even a feature; it's just a convention to put asterisks around your global variables, and they're called earmuffs. Super cute. Need more cute things in programming. The uh, the plugin I was thinking of is Vim uh, SEXP for S expression, SEXP. Uh, and then there's another plugin by Tim Cope called Vim uh, SEXP mappings for regular people. Uh, so I use both of those. And they're, uh, you can do things like uh, move forms around and add braces and remove braces. Cool. Will you drop those links? Yes. Sweet. Which, speaking of, uh, should we do picks? Yes, I have to go. Yeah, I figured. You do you want to go first? Uh, well, yeah, I actually have. Uh, last time on the podcast, I mentioned uh, Ruby Together, and they had uh, a forty dollar a month membership level for you get like uh, access to their Slack uh, community and maybe some other perks. Uh, but forty dollars a month was a little steep for me to spend every month. Yeah, uh, that seems like a lot. Like I yeah. So now they have a ten dollar a month level. Oh, so do that. if you go to their rubytogether.org/join and there's a link called Friends of Ruby Together, it's uh, ten dollars a month, and you can also donate uh, one time if you're if you're into that. Uh, so that was just an update from my pick from last time, and. Uh, I guess I don't have another pick. Cool. I have a pick. So 
some people actually I think this is one of those those dying seminars. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that people start at Recurse Center and then don't continue. Like I'm in cryptography club and you know, that's cool and it's going well, but sometimes people start groups and then they kind of peter out. And one of those groups was Nan to Tetris, which is a classic uh, course where you build you start from first principles and then work your way up to Tetris. And there is now a Coursera course. So if you are the kind of person who finds something like Nanda Tetris interesting, but you need something like a time time boxing to help you get it done, then you can go take it on Coursera. It's free, of course, like everything on Coursera. It's only seven weeks long, and it starts in a couple weeks. At least the first session does. So I suggest checking that out. Nanda Tetris is supposed to be pretty cool, uh, and so I, I'd recommend it. So I'm not sure if I picked this before, but uh, I've never mentioned Confreaks, and uh, I'll just pick their YouTube channel. Uh, they just recently uh, posted all the videos from EmberConf um, and Ruby on Ales, and I've been going through those, and there's a few good talks. Awesome. Cool. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 44. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. Later.